So we're back at looking at some of the most popular verses over the end of last year and the first part of this year. And we find ourselves in James chapter one, verses two through four this morning, which I think is an interesting passage of scripture to have floated to the surface of most popular and most searched verses. Because the truth is, it's not particularly comforting. It's, it's a bit of a challenge. It's, it's a bit of sort of a rebuke. It's, it's like the Apostle James is telling early Christians, look, you need to get your head in the game. You need to kind of, you know, kind of like an athlete preparing at halftime and you're down by several points, and, you know, and you, need to, you need to come into the second half strong and determined and ready to endure whatever the situation is. It's like, it's like those kind of coach or dad type of moments when there's a sense of, look, pay attention and realize what's taking place and what's happening. So at least for me personally, I don't find it as particularly comforting, like everything's going to be okay. Everything's, you know, don't worry about it. It's like, no, everything's not going to be okay. And yes, you're worrying, but you need to worry in the right directions. And so with that, don't turn, don't turn off, don't, don't, don't disconnect, but just recognize that even spiritually, there are times we have to engage, in a sense, emotionally more than academic. Because ironically, James's challenge is in the emotional area of facing difficulty. So let's just go to James chapter one. Let's just look at these verses together. And then I wanna share a few things that help me and a few things that we do here at church. We call them growth measures in our, in our, primarily in the office. But things we look at that help us actually sustain our faith in extremely difficult times and in moments when quite honestly our faith is at risk. So this is what James is saying. James chapter one, towards the end of your New Testament, he says in verse two, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, and here comes the catch. Whenever you experience various trials, these difficulties, these moments, these circumstances, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So he paints this scenario at the very beginning of this letter to the churches. He paints this scenario when he recognizes you've got difficulties, you've got problems, you've got hardships, and your response should not be what we would anticipate it probably is and what most of us would do. Your response shouldn't be to whine. Your response shouldn't be to complain. Your response shouldn't be to sit around and question, oh, why is it me? How come this isn't happening to me? I know this person, and they would be so much better in this circumstance than I am. It's, it's not a deferral of the situation. It's an acceptance of the situation. Things are bad. Trials are taking place. It's difficult. It's hard. And James's comment to us is, consider it great joy. Now, when somebody does that to me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of recoiling at that moment, like, seriously? You want me, matter of fact, if you look at that word in the Greek language as James is writing it, it means not just simply a sense of great joy, but it is whole, or complete, or pure joy. When you face these trials, which are, again, in the original language, these experiences that are unwelcome, unanticipated, 
And he even describes it as various trials, lots of them, multiple ones. Nothing like being in a bad set of circumstances, as a result, being in a bad mood and have somebody walk up to you and say, hashtag blessed, you're so fortunate you're suffering. I am so glad you're in the hospital. You're gonna be so much better after this. I'm so glad your finances are collapsing underneath you. It's, it, you're gonna be so mature when this is over with. I am, I am so grateful your friend just betrayed you. You're gonna be so much stronger in the future. That's what he's doing. I mean, it, it, to me, and maybe it's just me, so we can write in kind of an emotional parenthetical statement. Maybe just the pastor reacts this way. But even trying to teach it, just the thought that somebody would say, you're suffering, good luck, have fun, be joyful about it. Because when I'm suffering, in any form or fashion, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if muscles hurt because I've worked too hard. It doesn't matter if finances aren't adding up the way I want them to. It doesn't matter. I mean, it just simply, it doesn't matter. Joy is not my go-to place when things are tough. And so you have to understand, you have to sort of accept that James sees a prospect here. He sees an opportunity because we will all face difficult times. I mean, after all, even Jesus, who was so compassionate to say to us a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Jesus' words, come to me, I will give you rest. That same Jesus is the same one that said, you know what, in this world, you're gonna have problems. In this world, it's going to be difficult. Which is one of the things I personally admire about God. He is comforting and encouraging and, and helpful, but at the same time, realistic. We're not, we're not just playing an emotional game here. We're not just like, oh, I'm gonna talk myself into a better mood. I'm gonna, you know, until I sit down to pay the bills because the bills didn't change. But there is a bit of a mind game taking place here that James challenges us and Jesus challenged us to have a perspective that goes beyond the circumstances. The absolute only way I consider the trials, the difficulties, the tests in life good is if I recognize and understand Christ is above that, God is beyond that, and I'm not alone. So here's this prospect. Here's this opportunity that happens because our circumstances have gone to pot. We, here are these moments when life has become difficult and yet it is possible for God to teach in these moments. So I change my emotional perspective because honestly, a lot of the things that really hurt us, a lot of the things that are really difficult are things we don't have control over. If a friend betrays us, we have very little control over that. We might deal with it, we might reconcile, we might try to find pathways of reconciliation, but the damage is done. We don't have control over it. So how do I change my mental perspective? How do I find great joy or pure joy or, or wholeness and complete joy when I am experiencing these trials? these tests, these moments that can be, as scripture uses a term to describe it, a refiner's fire, a refining, cleansing, purifying, maturing moment. How do I find the joy in that? 
And I think in verse three, you get a clue. And this is where I want to talk about several different things I do, several things we as a church embrace, and that the scripture helps us understand. James says the reason there's joy is because there's understanding. Because you know that the testing of your faith, that you know this trial, you know this difficulty, you know this circumstance, this process is a process of evaluation, but it's a process that helps us understand and experience this in such a way that our life produces endurance or perseverance, steadfastness, staying power, determination when we're under this adversity. This will take us to a good place in time. Not in the moment. And that's why we have to change our head game. That's why we have to change our perspective. I remember listening to an interview last year of, of one of our Astros players. I don't know, have you all been started watching spring training? It's looking pretty good. And um, so we're anticipating another good year. So make sure you got an Astros shirt because when we go to the World Series, I think we need to dress up again just like we did last year. And I think we need to make history and go to the World Series. Personally, I think this year, next year, the following year, I'm fine. I'm fine with the Astros taking a run that takes them to the World Series indefinitely. And I'm fine with the Yankees having a run that causes them to completely collapse (laughs) indefinitely. Probably not supposed to say that. It's strictly a sporting reference. So if you're from New York... Oh, they're not here today. If, if you listen to the live stream later and you're from New York, it wasn't anything personal. I just love the Astros. But you, you, you re- I heard this interview, and, and the, the, the guy was having a really bad streak. I'm not going to name him in this particular case, and, and he's having difficulty. He's not batting like normal. And the, 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 the interviewer asked him, so well, what do you, what do, you do? What do? What do you do when you're consistently hitting bad? And he said, I blow it off and concentrate on making the next one a good bat. We can't live in that past. We can't live haunted by a frame of reference because something bad happens, because a set of circumstances isn't working the way we want. And that's how we begin to develop endurance. That's how, we, that's how we consider a pure joy when we have these experiences and these various trials, when we have these moments, when we recognize that the testing of our faith is happening and it's going to produce endurance. Instead of dwelling on the loss, we concentrate on what it takes to win. Here are six things I want to share with you. I don't normally do big lists like this, so follow with me or open your YouVersion Bible app and go to the events section, find our church, and you'll find the notes already printed out for you in there so that you can follow them. We call these growth measures. I shared a few years ago these exact same things, and I made this comment, and I'm not much into cliches, but I really think this comment captures the essence of getting the endurance and the perseverance necessary to get through these trials. In uncertain times, do certain things. So when you don't know what's going on, or when the situation is out of your control, when we're not aware, okay, what's going to happen with this? I, I can't predict, I can't figure this out, and we've just went through this in a major global fashion. In uncertain moments, in uncertain times, in uncertain circumstances, we gain endurance by doing what we know is certain. 
And so that particular batter went back to the batting cage and he practiced and he did the drills. He did everything that he knew was right to help compensate and create a scenario where he could do it in the game. Sometimes we just have to go back to basics. Number one, we call it spiritual formation. This is the essence of growing in your faith and that essence begins with prayer. And I know, I know you're sitting there thinking, well, of course I prayed. But I don't think I'm the only one that has difficulty praying when it's hard. Because I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm tired, or I'm exhausted. And prayer isn't always the most natural thing that happens. For one thing, if the trials are bad enough, and this testing of my faith is bad enough, where it begins to erode is in the confidence of whether or not God is listening. It's one of the first things to go for us. When we get out of our head, and we get out of the game, and we're sidelined, that's the first thing is we think God doesn't care. God's not listening. He's not aware. He doesn't know what I'm going through. We see this with the disciples throughout the Gospels. You can read any biography of great Christian leaders throughout history, or you can just simply look at your own personal journal and realize when things are bad, I tend to stop doing the things that I know work. And one of those is prayer. God still wants to listen to us. Find passages of scripture like Psalms 18 where it says that God pays attention to every word. Listen to music and things that encourage us to pray and remind us as isolated or alone as I may feel in this situation, God is there and he hears me because our physical experience has been different than the faith experience. How many of us, how, how many of us have tried to tell somebody something, but they're distracted? And we come to the conclusion in the middle of that conversation, accurately so, that they're just not really listening. God never takes a phone call. God never answers a text. God never gets up to get a glass of water. God never changes and shuffles to get a better posture in his seat. He is always listening. Psalms 18 says, from his throne, when I pray, he turns his ear toward me. That he literally, in my trial, adjust his posture, not for greater comfort, but for greater ability to hear my words. No matter how bad it is, whatever it is we're going through, don't stop praying. Number two, we call it here in our growth measures, biblical lifestyle. I know it sounds simple, and I know you expect me to say it, but read your Bible. And again, in the midst of the trial, that may not be a first go-to. Because typically when you're going through really hard times, motivation falls off, discipline falls off, and again, you don't necessarily feel like it. And so it's easier to turn on something, watch a video, listen to music, again, watch TV. It is easier to binge in other activities that distract me from my pain because the reality is reading scripture will remind us of our pain because the scripture is filled with people who were in pain, who suffered, who struggled. In order to give us examples so that we know we're not alone, we're not exceptional, and we also know 
that God is still moving and God is still working. I was listening to a song yesterday my wife introduced me to a little while back, Toby Mac's song, uh, God is on the move, and in the chorus it simply says he's rolling up his sleeves again. You don't know that God's not rolling up, you don't know that God's rolling up his sleeves again to do whatever needs to be done if you haven't read the original stories. It helps us. It is a discipline, yes. And many of us, we discipline our lives to read and to study and to understand the scripture. But in trials, we have to go to it not as a manual. We have to go to it as the second part of that conversation. I have prayed and I'm believing God's listening and now I go to his word and look for his response and find the place that's the most comfortable for you. I remember someone telling me one time they were going through a really hard time and then they were, they were rebuking themselves. They were questioning themselves. They said, I'm only reading scriptures that make me feel good. I'm like, what's wrong with that? Well, but the Bible is so much expansive. Well, yes. But if you're having a hard financial moment and you're breaking down because it's just nothing, nothing comes together, nothing works the way it's supposed to, ends aren't meeting the way they're supposed to, and you're having struggles in those moments... You don't need to spend a lot of time in Leviticus learning about how to boil lambs in milk. It's not going to help your finances, but it'll help you to go to any number of the multitude of thousands and thousands of verses in Scripture that remind you, guess what? The money, whether you have it or you don't have it, isn't yours to begin with. God is the steward and he's able to take care of you. That there are sparrows that will fall to the ground today and God knows them. And you are a lot more important and a lot more valuable to God than that sparrow. Read your Bible. Number one, pray. Number two, read your Bible. We call, we call number three authentic relationships. It's in our core values. When you're in trouble, when you're in trials, isn't the time to isolate yourself. This is the time to stay connected with authentic relationships. So you're having a difficult time. You're having struggles. And you're saying to yourself, you know, I just don't feel like it. I don't, I don't feel like going to Bible study this week. I don't feel like having to sit there and memorize the six verses they're going to require me to memorize. I don't feel like going to, and everybody's going to be in such a good mood. Or maybe I don't feel like going to church. I think I just need to stay home and relax because if I go to church, everybody's going to ask me how I'm doing. And I don't want to look at them and say, I'm doing terrible. I mean, let's be honest with one another. You don't feel like coming to church and telling people how you're really doing? Because you're assuming they're doing good. Their kids behaved all week while your kids were a wreck. Their finances are amazing. They're sitting around asking themselves, what else can I buy because I've got such excess right now? And you're just trying to make sure you don't lose your house or your car. We don't want to talk about it. And I'm not encouraging you to talk to complete strangers. I'm talking about embracing people who are in authentic relationships with us because we know they'll listen and we know they'll help us and we know they'll pray for us. I went through a hard time a while back. It was just a difficult time. There were a lot of things kind of colliding in on me. And I just, you know, it was kind of one of those moments when they're colliding all at the same time and you don't know how to dodge and you're too tired to want to dodge again. And so as I started through this exact same process and I started praying and I started reading my Bible and I started trying to do these things, I made the decision to trust some of my closest friends. 
And so I gathered a group of pastors around me that I lead um, and that I've developed trust over the last two years with, and I just told them, honestly and clearly, this is what's going on in my life. I need you guys to pray for me. Now that was scary because pastors a lot of times can't be trusted. They may not tell anybody in their congregation, but they'll tell other pastors. I had to decide to take the risk to share my need and in a sense put myself out there. But I knew out of the dozen guys I was with in that moment, I knew at least one, two, possibly three, and on a really good day, maybe all nine of them would pray for me, and I needed prayer from my friends more than I needed anything else. Recently, I called a good friend of mine. He lives in Singapore, and I told him, hey, this is what's going on. I need you to pray for this, and I knew I could count on him. I knew he would pray, and I knew he would call me back and ask me how things were going. Embrace authentic relationships in these tough times. Yes, it may appear that your friends aren't going through it, but I can pretty well guarantee you they are going through something. We need one another. It's interesting that scripture tells us in the worst times, towards the end of time, when everything's falling apart, do not forsake, do not stop going to church because we need one another. Pray, read, stay connected. This one's gonna surprise you, but risk giving. Live with generosity. You won't believe, especially if it's a financial problem, that you can do that. But God gives you permission. He says, test me and see what I can do in this area of finances. Because it's all his, because we're just managing what he's allowing us to manage. Do something contrary. Yes, it's hard to pay the bills. I'm not disagreeing and I'm not saying renege on your bills. We are Christians. We are people of integrity. We're the last ones that collection agencies should call. But sometimes it happens. Practice generosity in the midst of it. Do something radical and just give. And I'm not even advocating give to our church, give to a ministry, give to a missionary, give to a, give to a ministry that's accomplishing things. Just break the pattern and give. Prayer, Bible study, being connected, risk giving, embracing service, just simply be helpful. It's amazing how when we're struggling so much, if we just stop for a moment and help someone else, it helps us to begin to consider it pure joy in the midst of these trials. At a base level, and I do mean this as a base level, you could potentially at least walk away from it going, there's somebody else who's as bad off or worse than I am. I'm not saying that's a great perspective, but... Involving ourselves in someone else's life, again, it creates energy. It, it creates the stimulation that helps our mental process to be able to find joy when our life seems out of joy. The last one and the, the one that I personally think helps the most is what we call intentional engagement. And it's very similar to service and being helpful, but actively witness. There is no expression in the world like the expression of somebody when they get it. When they understand that Jesus is real, when they understand that Jesus will forgive them, when they understand that all of the love and all the activity of God was for them, 
And it's that first moment when they just meet and their face begins to light up or tears begin to come because they just realized they just stepped into a relationship with Almighty God. There is nothing that stimulates spiritual perspective and joy in our life like helping someone else meet Jesus. And they may not even respond. But this is a command God gave us. And when we obey, God then brings his forces to work in us. Not just simply around us, but in us. We can, we can experience tremendous joy, great joy in those moments. So do certain things when life is uncertain. And I'm encouraging you to take on these measures and to do these things. Pray, read your Bible, stay connected with people, risk giving, be helpful, and actively witness. Now I'm being honest and candid with you that all six of those things will not be natural responses. Even if you've known Christ for years and decades, it's not a natural response to do those things. Because if I pray, then I have to deal with my worry. If I connected with my friends and I'm connected with the people around me in my life, then I have to recognize that the whole picture is actually bigger than me. It's not just my own little personal mess that I can wallow in. I mean, it's amazing to me how much we love and embrace our troubles. Let's just keep going back to it over and over and over again. Not if you're considering it pure joy because now you have the ability to persevere. Now you have the ability to endure. All of these things are counterintuitive. They are contrary. That's contrarian thinking for us in Scripture to do these things. So avoid the temptation. Avoid the hazard of saying, you know, it's just not good right now. I can't give right now. I can't tell somebody about Jesus right now. How, how could I do that authentically? Because my life is miserable. I'm not even sure he's listening to me. So pray so that you are reminded he's listening. Read the scripture so you're reminded that he always has listened and he always will listen. In heaven, these problems don't exist. But I love the escape clause. I mean, I love the condition. There are no tears in heaven. And yet when John saw heaven, he said, and whatever tears we have, God would wipe from our eyes. Now, I'm honestly, I can't reconcile those in my head. There's no tears in heaven, but if there were tears, God's going to wipe my eyes. How can there be no tears in heaven and yet the potential or the need to have God wipe the tears out of my eyes? I struggle with that. It's a personal struggle. We'll try not to derail too much. But the bottom line is, Heaven is heaven because God's presence is so real and it's so true and it's so caring that in a place where tears don't exist, God is still ready to wipe them from my eyes. That's how much he cares. And that's what James describes and that's his conclusion as our band comes up and we close out in worshiping today. His conclusion is, we let endurance have its full effect so that we may be mature, which that word literally means just have rightful purpose, that we may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. There is a prospect and opportunity that comes with our trials. 
There is the ability to persevere and to go through and do things that allow us to endure in the midst of those trials. And it does turn out those trials, those difficulties, are an opportunity for progress and that the end result is fulfillment. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. It's an interesting and a pretty captivating phrase, lacking nothing, when you're in the midst of horrible circumstances. You lack nothing because you have Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that you may live an abundant, a fulfilled life. Sometimes we just need to be reacquainted with that relationship, especially when it's hard. Mm -hmm.